0: Open your Bibles, if you would, to the book of James, chapter 2, and as you're turning there, our core kids are dismissed. James, chapter 2, and we'll begin reading in verse 1. The cars are (laughs) worshipping. That's funny. James chapter 2. When you got it, say so. so. And it says this, it says, My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. Has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the law, the royal law, according to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to those who have, who have shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Lord, we thank you for your word that is true. We thank you for your wisdom. We thank you for your grace that is found in it. And Lord, this morning, we thank you for the reminder of your great love toward us. And we thank you for your word that sets us free, for it is the law of liberty. And so we pray that this day that you would speak to us, We pray today that you would open our ears. We pray today that you would give us ears to hear what you are saying to your church and that we would respond in faith unto you, Lord God. Let us not just be hearers alone, but let us be doers of your word. We pray this in the good name of Jesus. And everyone said, you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. So if you do not have an outline, just raise your hand and hold it up there so the ushers can get an outline to you. I want to make sure everybody has an outline and as your hands are up and you're there um, waiting for your outline we have a memory verse that we have been memorizing for the last few weeks and so I hope that you're ready to say it we're gonna say it together all right y'all ready, I'm ready. all right let's say it. one two three my brethren count it all joy when you fall into various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Very good. Give yourselves a hand. Or give someone a hand, because someone around you sound like they knew it, right? All right, amen. We're just going to do it once this time, but maybe next we can do it a few more. But it's important that we memorize the text, right? It's important that we memorize the scripture so that way we can understand and always have that there when we're going through trial, we're going through difficulty, that we do understand that those things are going to happen in our lives. We're going to go through different situations in our lives. And so today, for those of you that are following along in our Bible reading challenge is day 148, and we are in the book of Job. And so if you've been hanging tough and you've been reading along, um, we're in the book of Job chapters four through six. If you have not been following along in the Bible reading challenge, now listen. I've not been perfect in getting videos out at all by any by any by any, by any way shape or form. But it's important that you know that I am reading the scriptures, that I am um, continuing in this. And so, if you haven't been, it is so very important that you are in the Bible every day right? You're never going to be mastered by the Word of God if you're not in the Word of God, right? And so we want to we become transformed. And so that happens that way. And so I would encourage you, if you haven't done so, make a commitment. Jump in there. Jump in the book of Job. Um, let's start reading together and let's continue forward. It's very important to me that you do that. So in your outline here, Thus far, in the book of James, we have seen that trials are for our development, right? That's our memory verse. Temptation is not from the Lord, but all good things come from him, and that we must be active doers of the word, not passive hearers who are self-deceived. Mm. Now, I would encourage you to, to listen to last week's sermon. If you were not here, I encourage you to listen. Even if you were here, I would encourage you to listen to it again. Uh, Sean asked me a question earlier today. He said, you know, man, I was going to text you this week and ask you what was your motivation for the sermon last week. And I, and I got some, you know, comments about last week's sermon, its intensity, amen. And I want you to know the motivation that I have is you. I fear for you, straight up. I fear for you because you you sit down every week and you hear the word of God preached. I fear for anyone who sits in the church. I was t- I've spoken to a couple of pastors in this in this week and, or the, uh, in the past week, and I shared with them the, the, the scriptures that I preach from. And I was like, man, you know, there is a real fear in my heart for those who hear the Bible, for those who hear the scriptures. Because the scripture shows us that if we hear it alone and we don't do it, we are deceived. And I don't want anyone, I, you know, I I don't want any of you, I, I want to go to heaven and when I get there because of what Jesus did for me, not because of my perfection, I want to see you there. But I know this, that if you're not a hearer of the word, there's a problem, there's a disconnect and you're deceived. And so that was the motivation for that. And so I encourage you to listen to the sermon over again if you didn't hear it, if you or, or listen to it if you didn't hear it. And if you did hear it, listen to it again. Share it with someone. Share it with someone that, you know, some people that they need their faith to be challenged because it's very important for us that we are hearing the Word of God, and we are obeying obeying the Word of God. And so, as part of that paragraph, the remainder of James really unpacks how we are to obey the Word of God in practical ways. And so, he talked about us being tried. He talked about us being tempted. He talked about us, you know, responding to the Word of God in obedience. And now the rest of the book is going to unpack that. What does it mean? How do we obey the Scriptures? And so, that's what James is going to talk to us about here. And so, second paragraph there, there is no higher calling than that of love. For love love for God and love for our neighbors is what Jesus said summed up the whole law and so what I want you to think about is 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 this high commandment that God gives us which sums up all of the law Jesus was asked a question what is the greatest commandment and he tells him to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart with all thy soul with all thy strength with all that with all that you are right to love the Lord and then he just throws it in there and he said and the second is like it to love your neighbor as yourself and then he says upon these two hang all of the law and And the prophets upon these two. And so, what he was saying is that Genesis to Malachi, which is what he was speaking of, hung upon these two commandments. Every single commandment that they were trying to learn hung upon those two principles. One was love for God, and the other one was love for our neighbor. And if we live that way, then we were going to be able to fulfill all of the law of God. And every prophetic utterance was to do what? Was to push us closer to Jesus to turn us to him. And so what he's communicating to us is letting us know that this is what what we're supposed to be giving our lives towards. I don't know about you, but I know about me. And I can only talk about myself on this, right? But here's what I realize is that this being the highest call and the highest command, it is also, if I'm honest with myself, is probably one of the hardest commands to follow to love the way that God has called us to love. To love, I mean, I, I know when I first became a Christian, I mean, I, I was radically saved. For those of you that were here on Easter Sunday, radically converted, radically, you know, pulled out of the dark, and God delivered me in such a great way. And so there was no question at all in my heart that I, that I love God. I was so grateful for what he did for me when he opened my eyes and let me see where I was at and what he did for me. I was, I was overwhelmed with that. But you know what? Even after that, I recognized something else immediately, Almost, almost immediately after I became a Christian. It was so hard to love faithfully. It was so hard for me to love others the way that I was called to love. I mean, if you just sit down and read through 1 Corinthians, and we'll talk about this a little bit more, but if you see 1 Corinthians chapter 13, just read through that chapter and just look at what it it says love is and what love does. And then I want you to ask yourself a question. Do I do that every day, all the time, every situation with every person that I deal with? And the answer is probably going to be a resounding, no, I do not. And what I want you to know is that you're not alone, but this is a high calling that God gives us for us to love one another. Last paragraph there, we must strive with all of our soul to love unconditionally, even when our faith is being tested and we aren't feeling it. Hello, somebody. Remember, James is speaking to a people, to keep it in context, a people who are going through trials of faith. Now, how many of y'all, when you're going through trials, you just want to be loving? When your patience is being tested, you just want to love on someone, right? Like that is exactly what you want to do. You want to show the love of Jesus to everyone. No, you don't. You want to lay hands on someone. Hello. And it's not to pray for them, right? It's to like, you know, I mean, I'm just saying, like, let's just keep it real and be honest. And, and this is a reality. These people are being tried and these people are being tested. And James is calling them in the midst of all of these trials, in the midst of this testing, to do what? To show an unconditional love, to demonstrate that unconditional love unto the world. And so here's the thing. Unconditional love is the thing that separates us from all other religions and sets us apart as the disciples of Jesus. That's what unconditional love does. It sets us apart from every other religion because we're loving not because you're so religious or you're so perfect. We're loving because of what? Because of what Jesus has done for us. And so here is the big idea today. Unconditional love testifies to our faith. And so today we're going to talk about the love test. Unconditional love testifies to our faith. And so if we're, if, if, if we're going to be the way that Jesus calls us to be, then we are going to have to strive to love in an unconditional manner, right? We're going to have to strive to love the way that Jesus calls us to love. And listen, I want you to know something. That love is a high love. Hello. That love is a love that is a high standard. And, and, and for some of us, you know, for some people, it's a little bit easier to climb that mountain of love, right? For some people, I mean, you see it in some people, it seems like some people, it just like almost comes natural to them, right? Like they're, like the love just overflows them. And, and typically, and I, and I hate to use a gender bias here, but I'm going to use it because I think there is some significant truth to this, because if not, God would not have said husbands, love your wife as Christ loves the church. He didn't tell wives to love. You know why? Because lives nurture naturally, which is a natural thing. Men, on the other hand, I'm sure that men typically, we're not waking up saying, yes, how can I love today? Like, that's not the first thing we think about. Like, how can I love better today? Like, you know, we don't, we're not, that's not, that's not just a natural thing that comes for us. And so what I want to say is that this is what we strive for and this is what we pursue to love the way that Christ loved. Because you know what, if there was anyone who was a man's man, it was Jesus. Hello. I don't know any man that could have taken the beating beating that he did without dying. I don't know any man that could have hung upon a cross the way that he did after all of that without dying. But he did. He shows us what a man is, and that man, he demonstrates in his flesh, and even on his throne in glory, but in his flesh when he's here, he demonstrates for us what unconditional love really looks like. And so that should be the goal for each and every one of us. And so the first thing I'd ask you to repeat after me is this, and I want you to know one of the words in here um, is wrong in your outline. I'm not sure if they fixed it back here, but it is this. Say this with me. Unconditional love, unconditional love emphasizes the glory of Jesus unconditional love emphasizes the glory of Jesus I sent that before I edited that part there and it does magnify for sure the glory of Jesus but what I want you to realize is that unconditional love emphasizes it, there has to be an emphasis on the glory of Jesus for us to love unconditionally look at what verse 1 says he says my brethren do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ the Lord of glory with partiality And so what he says here, and if if you're reading the New King James Version or other versions may not have the word the Lord there. In the New King James, the words the Lord are italicized. And whenever a word is italicized or words are italicized in your Bible, it is typically, unless it's a quote from somewhere else, it is typically indicating to you that those specific words are there for English clarity, but they were not there in the original text. And so if you were to read this in its original language, the way that it would come across is this. My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ of glory with partiality. The emphasis is on the glory of Jesus. And and, and what flows after this has to come back to this point. It is that our faith is about what? The glorification and the honor of Jesus Christ. And I I talked to a friend of mine, and he's he's a worship leader in another church. And, um, you know, he, he says one of the things that he hates more than anything else in a service, and he's just being really honest with me and, I, and I'll share it with you, he says, I hate it when the service is hijacked to honor men and not focus on Jesus. And that may sound legalistic, right, to some people, but when you really think about what we're here for, right, for sure we should give honor to one another, absolutely. And I think that there's moments like on Mother's Day, Father's Day, different days, you know, we can honor people for sure. Um, you know, think, I, I don't have an issue with that, right, And nor, nor does he. But his whole point is the service that we come to offer is unto the Lord, the service we come to offer is to bring glory and exaltation to Jesus. And we can get sidetracked by trying to exalt men or women or whoever into positions where that, that, that's not the time or place for that to happen, right? I mean, think about it. And so what we have here is, is, is James is communicating the same thing. I, I think James would be like my friend. He's like, listen, nobody needs to be glorified in the midst of our saints except Jesus. The glory belongs to him. But James goes on and he says this. He says, for if there should come into your assembly. So if someone walks into your church, a man with gold rings and fine apparel, there should also, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes. And you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in a good place. And say to the poor man, you stand there or sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality, favoritism? among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts and so what James is saying is that when you act like this with other people you are judges with evil thoughts he's saying that you are people who have wrong motives because you're seeking and in this context here we'll find out in a moment that part of the persecution part of the hardship that they were experiencing was because of the well-to-do and wealthy people in their culture those people didn't want anything to do with the church. They didn't want anything to do with them there and so because they didn't need God. And so what happens is James is like, listen, when someone walks into your assembly and he's got, you know, um, fine, fine apparel and he's got these rings on. You know, back in those days, they used to wear, um, the wealthy people, they used to wear rings on like all fingers. They were just bawling. Hello. Like, I don't even know how you do that because I wear, like, I have one ring right here. And th- this, this particular ring, I was carrying a, a grocery bag yesterday. And if I'm complete, I, had, I was holding this grocery bag that was really heavy, so it was causing my finger to squeeze. I wanted to throw this ring across the parking lot. <laughs> right? I still have it on today because I'm married. I love my wife. But here's the thing. The point is, she bought this for me. But the point is, I don't even know how someone could walk around and just be, like, chilling, like, yo, what's up, y'all? You know, like they, but that's how they did it. They wanted to, that's how they were acting in those days. Literally in those days, they used to rent rings out so people could show like they were all that. They used to, that, that, and, and today it's the same thing. We just put it on credit and pay forever on it. That's all, right? to try to show people we have something. That's what we do. And so they were doing the same thing. And these people come into the, into the assembly, and these same people, we'll talk about this in the next point, but these same people who were being persecutors and who were speaking against their Lord and all of that, they would walk in the door, and all of a sudden it was like, oh, somebody special came into place. And then they tell them, in the way that those congregations were, right it wasn't like seating like this. like They had benches in those assemblies, and then, you know, so those were the good seats, and then when, you know, somebody that was of, of importance would come in, they would say, hey, you know, why don't you come and sit here? Sit in this great seat. As a matter of if I take my seat. Sit here. And then someone poor would come in. He's not just making a, you know, he's, he's not making a, a comparison that didn't really happen. Someone poor would come into the place and they would tell him, hey, why don't you just stand there in the back? Or if you want, you can sit down here by my feet. You can't sit on the bench here. And so what happens is what you've got to realize is that this is all a plan of the enemy to bring division in the church. This all a plan of the enemy to forsake the glorification of Jesus because this is why glorifying Jesus becomes so important because when we see Jesus as the almighty as the only glorious one when we see him as the only one that is worthy of veneration and worship you know what that does that brings all of us down to the even slate are you here It brings us all down. When I start to look at you, I don't look at you based upon the car you drive, based upon the apparel you wear, based upon any of those things. I don't look at you based upon how many degrees you may have. I look at you based upon one thing in comparison to who Jesus is. He is above all and he humbles all of us. He makes us all equal. And so when I deal with you, I'm not doing what? I'm not favoring you because I want something from you. That's what these people's issue was. They wanted favor from these people rather than knowing that they had the favor of God upon their lives. We'll talk about that in the next point. But here's the thing. We have to realize the enemy wants to divide. Why does the enemy want to divide the church? He wants to divide the church because he knows that a house divided cannot stand. Hello. He wants to divide the church because he knows that a house that's divided not only can't, will not stand, but it also will not make a lasting impact in a sin-soaked culture. And so he's real easy. He wants us to all have this favoritism. Here's the thing you got to get is that favoritism among the classes is expected outside of the church. Listen, I don't care what laws get passed. I don't care what political party is in place. I don't care what tax reforms occur. I don't care what people tell you. Trust me when I say this. If you look at other cultures that have done all that kind of crazy stuff, guess what? They didn't do anything to make people equal. Are you here? That's not what happens. That's not what occurs unless it's Holy Spirit generated. Are you here? And I need you to know this. The Holy Spirit is not guiding every decision of our government. Hello, somebody. I know we may want to think that stuff, but that's not the truth. And they can't do for us what only God can do. So when people come into the house of the Lord and they come to worship God, there should be this equality in the house of the Lord. There should be an honoring of one another. There should be a a mindset that we're not going to be like the world is. There's not going to be this, you know, click mentality. Hello. Oh, I touched on a a touchy subject there. Let, 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 Let me say this for you just to liberate you right quick. Every church on the planet right now, has a click mentality Uh uh-uh you don't want to hear that notice what I did not say I didn't say every church except core faith church I didn't say that every church has a click issue every church has a click issue you want to know why because you click with people you've been here longer than other people and so you know what you have your people that you clicked with hello somebody right? And so you came together in relationship. You love those people. You've grown in relationship with them. And guess what happens? All of a sudden, some new people come in. They're not part of the click. And then what do you do about that? Well, I'm going to tell you what you have to do. You, you, the only way you're going to get liberated from a click mentality is when you adopt a disciple-making mentality. I'm going to tell you what the difference between the two is. One of them wants the family to grow. The other one does not. And I don't care what you pray, I don't care what you say, your attitude determines all of that stuff. See, because here's the thing, I, I remember this, um, when, my, when my wife had Alexis, she had Alexis, she couldn't have any more children after Alexis. So we thought that that's what God wanted, and we were like, okay, Lord, if you, obviously you didn't want us to have more kids, because she cannot, so we're going to go ahead and live our life, we're going to have a daughter, that's all, that's all it's going to be. And about 11 years after Alexis, you know, she's 11 years old, and we're, we're in a time of, of prayer and fasting as a church, and as I'm praying and fasting, I'm seeking the Lord, I'm reading a book, the Holy Spirit starts to impress upon my heart that he wants me to, you know, wants us to adopt, and so I don't say anything, I go home that day, my wife comes to me, she's like, do you want to adopt? And I was like, yes, I do. And so she, you know, didn't didn't know how to really respond to that and so a week later she comes back she's like, "Are you serious about this?" I'm like, "Yeah, I'm 100% serious." And so then the next step is what? We need to talk to another family member. Hello. And so we need to make sure, you know, okay God, we we need, we need to make sure that this is going to be, you know, the right thing here for our family, you know, and as soon as we tell Alexa, she's like, "Oh yes, I want to be a big sister. I'm all excited." Dah, dah, dah. And we're like, "Okay, amen. We got confirmation. Three confirmation. We're good to go." So we're going to adopt. She wants to be a big sister. I can tell you what today. I guarantee you there are moments in her life she wish she wasn't a big sister. <laughs> See, because she thought she wanted that family to grow until her little brother goes into her room, starts pulling out makeup, flipping this, throwing that. He's all over the place. He doesn't want to leave her alone. He's jumping on her, licking her, biting her, all that good stuff. See, she she wanted the family to grow at one moment because the idea seemed amazing. But as soon as that other family member started to invade your space, all of a sudden, what? Get out of my room. Close that door. You can't go in there. How does that apply to the church? It's the same thing. We're just not as rude. Or maybe we're more rude because we ignore you. Now listen, I'm just trying to keep it real because I want us to be liberated from whatever it is that hinders us from going to that next level. So my question is, how many people that are new, because you know that God is bringing new people. You do know that, right? You do know that there's about 20 people that you don't know. And you don't know who you is, but you are you. And I'm telling you, there's about 20 people you don't know <laughs> in this place. And I want to ask you a question, you, Hello. How many times how many of those new people have you invited to come to your house? How many of those new people have you invited over to see? Because you know what? We have to get liberated from this mindset. How do we get liberated from the mindset he's talking about here? This favoritism, this cliquish mentality. How do we get liberated? Well, we have to see all men through through, through the lens of Jesus. And what's that lens? Well, one side of the lens is for those who are saved, we know that Christ is in them. That's what we connect with because Jesus lives in them, so we want to connect with them. The other way that we see men is all of those who don't know Jesus, guess what? He died for them. Again, we glorify Christ, we honor Christ, and then what do we do? We look at others through that lens, and so we see them there. And so if we want to break, I pray to God that you want to break that mentality. Remember, you got to be doers of the word, not hearers alone, hello. And so I hope you're looking around right now, and you're getting ready to tap somebody on the shoulder. not right now. But after this service, don't let it cool down, don't, you know, just listen, lean over to your spouse, if they're next to you or whatever, don't send them a text, don't do all that right now. But... Just communicate and say, listen, we need to get a list. We need, to, we need to say, listen, I stand out there every Sunday to make sure that I see everyone. You need to do the same thing. You don't have to stand next to me. Stand out there. Make sure you see those folks that you don't know. And that way you can go ahead and develop. And we can do what? Help the family grow the right way. All right, I got three or four Amen. so we'll take it. We have to break the click mentality if it's going to happen. We have, to, we have to be liberated. We have to, we, have to, we have to let the family expand, right? That's what we have to do. We have to, we have to adapt the mentality. Second thing, ask you to repeat after me is this say unconditional love unconditional reflects love. The, grace the grace of God. Unconditional love reflects the grace of God. Look at verses five through seven. He says, Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen, say chosen. Has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who loved him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? And so James is rebuking them clearly. He's like, listen, these people that you are trying to give the best seats to, these people that you're trying to show some kind of, you know, favoritism towards, these are the same people that are oppressing you. These are the same people that are dishonoring your Jesus. These are those same people that are doing that. And so if you're write, if you taking notes, you can write down 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27. And the apostle Paul there, he's communicating that God has chosen the foolishness of this world to confound the wise. And what he's saying in that portion is he's telling them, look at your calling, brethren. Not many of you are rich. Not many of you are wise according to the world's standards, but you are the ones whom God has chosen. You are the ones whom God has called. And so we find this here, that James is simply echoing the same statement and the same sentiment. Has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith, to be heirs of this kingdom that is coming? And so what we have to realize is that God is not moved by the same things that we're moved by when it comes to men. Are you here? He's not moved by the same things that, we are, that we're motivated by. I mean, we see this from the Old Testament to the New Testament. We see what? Jesus wasn't moved by the Pharisees. Jesus wasn't trying to get in with the in crowd. That wasn't Jesus' goal. His goal was to do what? It was to come and to seek and to save those who were lost. That was what he was doing. He was moved by the widow who put in two mites, and he wasn't moved by all the people who were dropping C-notes all over the place. Hello. He was moved by the one who was giving from their heart. He was moved by that person. He was not moved by the other ones. He was moved by a woman with an issue of blood. He was moved by people who people people were saying, hey, unclean because that woman with the issue of blood, everybody was looking at her. They wanted nothing to do with her. And that culture, unclean, unclean, they stood away from her. And Jesus was moved by that woman's faith. Jesus was moved by different things. Um, uh, uh, if you look in the book of 1 Samuel, you find Samuel the prophet. He goes to anoint the king. Saul, Saul had been rebellious against God, and God tells him, listen, I want you to go fill your horn with oil. Go to the house of Jesse, and I want you to anoint my next king. And when he goes to the house of Jesse, you know, he tells him what he's here for. And all of a sudden, they bring the first son, the, the first son forward, the, the eldest son, Eliab. Love his name. His name means godfather, right? That's what it is. It's like Godfather, the Father. I mean, he was just, he had the name. I mean, he had everything. He all and, and and Samuel the prophet he says, Surely this is the Lord's anointed. And God says, Nope. I don't look at the things that man look at. I look at the heart. And all of a sudden, this stinky, running late somebody. Everybody thought David was crazy, forgot about it. Listen, Jesse forgot he had another son. I'm just saying, like, you read the story, and it's like that. David's out there probably running up inside with his harp or something like that, like, yo, what's up, we having dinner? I'm just saying, I'm I'm just trying to help you see the picture, right? Like, like Like, David didn't come up in there all prim and proper, and God says, arise, anoint him. God is not impressed with the same stuff we are. And so we need to become impressed and moved by the stuff that moves him. God's favor isn't upon the ones we think merit it, but it's upon who? It's upon the ones that God chooses. And who does it say that God chose? You want to look at it? It says here, did not God choose the poor? When Jesus preaches in in, in Matthew chapter 5, the first sermon that he preaches after his baptism and all it is, he preaches the Sermon on the Mount. And the first thing he starts off with is the Beatitudes. And what is the first Beatitude? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Who does God choose? The ones who are poor in spirit. In this context, for sure, he is saying you've dishonored the poor man who walks into your assembly, the one who doesn't have anything, the one who can't give you anything. But, what the, what, but the overarching reality of Scripture is what? Is that the ones that God chooses are the ones who are humble, the ones who acknowledge their need for God. You remember this guy, the rich young ruler in the, in the Gospels? He comes to Jesus. He says, good teacher, very holy, very reverend guy. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replies to him, why do you call me good? Only my father in heaven is good. And he's like, well, you know, and he's like, so you keep the commandments. And he's like, well, which ones? And so Jesus goes through all the commandments, and this young man in his, in his humility, I'm lying, says, well, I've kept all of those since my youth. What else do I lack? Jesus looks at him. And the Bible says it, says, it says, he looks at him with love. He loves him. Hmm. It's like, I love this guy. You lack one thing. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor. Then come follow me. Great will be your reward. You know what the Bible says? It says the man turned away sorrowful because he had great possessions. You know why? He wasn't poor in spirit. He didn't think, man, he's like, I don't have to do anything else. I've kept all the laws. I'm okay. I give alms. You know, I'm dropping two C notes, not just one. Hello. I'm doing my thing. They need renovations in the church, I'm there. He he was that guy. And when Jesus confronted him with his idolatry, because idolatry is worship of what? Worship of material things, apparently, because as soon as Jesus asked him for that thing, the guy was like, no, I can't do that. He really didn't want eternal life that bad, I guess, because he was so possessed by his possessions, But the reality is, here's what I want you to understand. When James is speaking here about the poor, although his context is talking about the poor as being those who are broke, what I want you to realize is that there are plenty of poor people that don't realize they're poor. There are plenty of rich people who realize their poverty. So the reality is that we have to look at those, those who are what? Who are humble before the Lord, those who are submitted before the Lord. See, unconditional love reflects, I said he reflects the grace of God. And it shows the grace of God. And so I deal with others doing what? I want to show them the grace of God. I don't want to favor you because I want something from you. I want to show you favor because you need the one that favors me. Are you here? Their problem was they were looking at it the wrong way. And here's what I want you to understand from this is that whenever we decide that we are going to favor the wrong people for the wrong reasons, we inevitably inevitably leave them and others with the wrong impression of God's grace. With the wrong impression of God's grace. And so these people, they feel this way. They feel like they're entitled. They feel something like that. And then James goes on, look what, and, and I just want you to see what he says in verse six. He says, But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Listen, this this stuff is still happening today, y'all. Don't don't we're, we shouldn't be blinded, right? I mean, every, every time I, when I read this scripture, I always think of that couple with the bakery that just didn't want to serve a homosexual couple. They they didn't want to serve them in their wedding. That was their right. That was their right to make that decision. And because they make that decision, what happens? All of a sudden, it wasn't the homosexual couple that was the one that was financing the suing of these people. It was someone else that gets behind them. And now this couple that was a mom and pop shop. Guess what? They're no longer in business because what? Because the wealthy got behind a wrong thing to do what? To blaspheme the name of the Lord. To somehow say, well, man, you Christians are bigots. You know, you Christians are, you know, you don't show love. Hold on a second. Wait a second. Time out. So if I let my kid go run and play in the, you know, I, I let my, I mean, how, how, many of y'all, how many of you parents would just let your kids go play in whatever rush hour traffic wherever they want? You would, you would do that, right? Because you love them. Because they want to, right? They, because they want to do that. So just let them do that because you love them, right? That makes sense, doesn't it? Just let my kid. Listen, I love my child. I'm going to let my kid while the stove is hot, burning. Hey, man, you go in the kitchen and do what you want to do. You do your thing. That's love, isn't it? Is, is that not love? Come on, I'm being sarcastic now. None of that is real love. If I love someone, then I'm not just going to sit there and just tolerate whatever because I love them. No, 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 I'm going to make sure that I communicate in a loving way what they need to hear. Church, that's your job communicate the truth and love in all scenarios in all situations that we're going to be those kind of people who are demonstrating the grace of God I can love you that doesn't mean I'm going to agree with you that doesn't mean I'm going to tolerate everything that you do I tolerate you because I love you I love what one person said about tolerance and I move on because I guess y'all need to hear this part this wasn't even written down here but one person said this about tolerance tolerance is for people not principles understand this tolerance is for people not principles I tolerate you. I love you. That don't mean you're going to act a fool in front of me. That doesn't mean that I'm just going to let you be how you want to be, and I'm going to just applaud everything you do. I'm not going to do that. And so we have to have the right mindset from the Scriptures. It is important that we are committed to reflecting the grace of God to all men, rich or poor, yet we must never cater to or show favoritism towards those who blaspheme the name of our Lord. That's what these people were doing. They were blaspheming the name of the Lord. You know, I thought about something, and, and as I was going through this, I thought about the seeker-sensitive movement that, you know, we have that's been going on for a long time. And basically the seeker-sensitive movement in the church is that, you know, we want to make everyone who comes into the church as comfortable as possible. You know, we were, we were talking in our connect the other day, and, and we were talking about the difference between our days today and back in the days. And like the, like, like the altar, right? This is stage Now. Now. It used to be an altar. It used to be sacred. Like, you didn't get up here. Like they, No joke, you can go to some places that like this. There's a pulpit down here because you ain't holy enough to get up there. Now, listen, I'm not saying you're not holy, but what I want you to understand is this, is that they were setting a precedence. And so kids, when they came into the church, you know what they did not do? They didn't come running from back there and jump up here and roll over there and roll back down and do it. A, it wasn't like that. It was a different day and a different time. But why was that? And listen, my son done all of that, so I'm just saying, listen. Don't, don't think I'm talking about your kids. Listen, what I, what, what, what I want you to understand is in those days, there was a sacredness to the church. There was a sacredness to ministry. When people got up and they were doing things, there was a holiness that was there. And so what happened was we, moved, we fast forward and we start to feel like, man, we're losing people. You know, people don't want to come to church. Why do they want to come to church? Because they don't want to be holy. Listen, hold on a second. Time out. So when does the church stop being holy so that way unholy people can come into the church? You'll, you'll, you'll figure that one out in the car. When is it that the church decides? So what happens is in these secret, in, in I got like three minutes here. In, in these secret sensitive churches, what, what will happen is, you know, you don't say words like sin. You don't call people sinners. Um, you, don't, you, don't, you, don't call the, you don't talk about hell. You don't talk about the cross. You know, you don't sing songs for too long because if, you, if worship is too long, then they're just uncomfortable. That's not this church, but I'm just saying I'm going to call you sinners in about three minutes again. At least, at least three or four times throughout the sermon, you're going to hear this. But listen, it's, not, it's because it's true, right? People will never be liberated. But here's the problem. There is nothing wrong. When someone comes to a church, you know, I talked about the click mentality that every church has and struggles with. But one thing that I can say about Core Faith Church, there is no one who has ever visited this church that has ever said that we're not a friendly people. Never. They come into the church, they're friendly welcome, they feel welcome into the church. Here's the thing that I want you to understand. You have to move as a church from being friendly to being friends. Cause there is a difference. There's a difference. It's not just about, hey, how you doing? Wait a second. When are we gonna do lunch together? When are we going to connect, right? Like, when are those things going to happen? So let's keep that in our, in, in our minds when we think about this. But the thing is this, is that we should love on everyone that comes in this place. Everyone should feel the love of God. Listen, I don't care if you see, if they smell, if they look bad, if you think they're a certain type of sinner, because, you know, you can stereotype. Hello, somebody. You do that. I don't. Okay. Um. <laughs> <laughs> No matter what it is that you are feeling, right, or that, or that you're you need to show the love of Christ. You should never let someone come in here and be like, man, I'm not going to go say what's up to them because, what, because of what? Listen, I'm going to tell you something. You, you, you guys may not realize what I'm saying and the power of what I'm saying right now, but I remember being a heathen. Not just a sinner like I am now, but a heathen. Like I wasn't walking with Jesus. I was an enemy of God. I used to come to church and I would be high sitting in those seats. And can I tell you something that I long for? And, 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 and I say this with, with, with all due respect. I used to long for the handshake of the pastor. I just want, and I don't know why. I mean, I just, there, there was something that, that wanted some kind of, not the valid, I wasn't looking for validation of my sin. It was validation of my presence that I mattered When you validate someone by acknowledging them, that does something for them. When someone listen, there should never be a person. I know, I know we give you like two minutes to say what's up to people. Listen, take more than two minutes. Make sure you say hi to more than your little click. As a matter of fact, let me let, 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 let's make this rule right now. We're gonna make a rule right now. This we're gonna be we're gonna be legalistic about this. From now on, when you greet the people, you gotta greet five people before you get to someone you know. Are you here? It's going to be rough for some of you. That means you're going to walk by someone and be like, Jonathan, listen, I can't say hi to you yet. I haven't got to number five. And you're going to walk past and you are going to say what's up to five other people that you do not know well before you get to the people that you know. And listen, if the time is getting short, hey, it is what it is. Those people that you would normally say hi to, call them on the phone. You know their number. Go hang out with them after church. Start making some connections outside of the people that, you know, you just normally connect with, right? That's important for us to do in order to help people feel the validation of love. And so the third thing here, I'm way over time now. I need about 10 more minutes, but here we go. All right. Number three. (laughs) Say say this with me. Unconditional love love fulfills fulfills the royal law unconditional love fulfills the royal law. You can blame Bernard for me preaching longer. I'm going to let you know right now. He asked me to preach longer every week. Every week he's like, Bishop, the message was too short. So here we go. Actually, him and Sean, they tag team me. But anyway, we're going to just go. Unconditional love fulfills the royal law. Look at what it says here in verses eight through 13. It says, if you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. So he commends it. If you're striving after this, you do well. Verse nine, but if you show partiality, you commit sin. Do you see that? If you show partiality, he didn't say if you lie, he didn't say if you cheat, he didn't say if you curse, he didn't say if you commit adultery, he said if you show partiality, you sin. That's what it says here. That's why when people come and tell me that they're perfect or that they've arrived or that they don't need to repent every day, I'm like, man, you don't know God. You do not know your Bible either because you read your Bible yourself like this be like, partiality is sin? Yes, because we serve a holy God. Because our God is much more holy than we could ever understand. And when you just passively read the scriptures, you don't even see that. there. like a partiality sin. No, no, wait a second. Hold on a second. This stuff sends people to hell. I'm just saying, I mean, this is, that's what sin does, right? Sin sends us to hell. I mean, if we're going to sin against the Lord. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as a transgressor. I told you I was going to call you a sinner. There it is. Right? If you show partiality, right, you're convicted by the laws of transgression. look what he says, For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. All of us are going to experience judgment by the law of God. Everyone will do that. For judgment is without mercy to the one who shows no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Jesus declared what? He gave his disciples a commandment. He told them to love them as he loved them, right? To love them, to lay down their life for one another. He gives them this new command. We are kingdom people, are we not? Right? And as kingdom people, that means that we have royal laws that we are following. We have kingdom decrees that we are following. That's what we have. And so we, as the children of God, have been given the royal decree. And what is that? Love one another. Love one another. That is the goal. That is the high bar. That is the standard that we are supposed to strive after is loving one another, the way that Christ loves us, the way that he shows us to love. When we are living for the glory of Jesus, when we are living in light of the grace that he has towards us, we live to fulfill his word. And his word is what? To love others the way, that, the way that he calls us to. James makes it clear that showing partiality, what does that mean? It means literally to accept the face or to make distinctions between people. That's what it means to show partiality. It's to say, you know what, I like you. I like the way you dress. I like your attitude. And so, you know what, I'm going to hang with you. Forget the rest of you. Right? That's what we do. I mean, we do stuff like that. Like, you know what, you know, I really, you know, I, I really like, I just, I just like you, you know. You just, you know, you're, you're, I just want to be around you. Like, that's how we get it. We hang out with a couple of people, and we got those people, and that's it. Everybody else, forget it. I'm I'm not worried about nobody else. And then we find other people that we don't, how many of y'all, don't even, don't raise your hand for this. How many of y'all just have people, and even in this place, do not raise your hand, that you just don't like them, you don't even know why? You have no clue as to why you don't like them. You just think, oh, they seem, I don't care what they seem, do you know? You know how many people I met that they seemed and they really weren't? Oh, he seems stuck up. He's just quiet. That's all. Oh, she thinks she's all that. No, she's just pretty, and you might have an insecurity. But anyway. I'm just saying, like, I mean, that that happens. Like, I don't know why I don't like her. I know why you don't like her. Hello. She's confident, and you're not. But here's the thing. We all have those things. We make these false judgments. We make these judgments about people like man I just don't like him because I don't like her because and that, listen that's sinful showing partiality making false that is sinful stuff and so when we read this that if we break one of the law then we are guilty of all of the law that's pretty heavy is it not Shows us that we're sinful. Shows us that all of us, he's talking to the church here, all of us are transgressors. Listen, if you, if, you, if you can be honest with yourself, then you break God's laws. You know what this shows us, though? This shows us why we need the gospel so badly. This reminds us that we are all sinners who fall short of the glory of God. That every one of us needs the grace of God, not just to come to Jesus, but to continue to walk with him. It's a constant reminder that, man, even as a Christian, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm going to let you know, I'll raise both hands for you because you don't have to raise your hand. There, I can't say that about the people in here because there's really no one, I'm, I'm just being honest. In here, it's, it's partially because I am a leader here. I, 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 I purpose not to just not like someone just because, right? Like, I, there, but I, there's some of you I don't like. There's a reason. I'm just kidding. As a Christian, I have met people that I just don't like them, and I don't know why. And can I tell you something? I have to confess. I have to repent. I have to come before God and say, God, forgive me and help me. You know what? Here's the thing I want you to get out of this point about this royal decree and this royal law. We're all going to be judged. If you're a child of God, listen, if you are a child of God, you put your faith in Jesus, you don't have to worry about a judgment of going to hell because Jesus already paid that price. That's what I want you to get. But you are still going to be judged by the law of liberty. Why? Because God's going to judge all of us based on our obedience. And so what happens is some of us, and I'm going to let you know, some of us, we're going to make it into heaven and it's gonna, we're going to smell like smoke. Hello, somebody. Because when our life is going through the consuming fire of testing, guess what? It's only going to be by the skin of our teeth or the hair. I don't have hair on my head. It's only going to be by the hair on my chinny, chin, chin, a little bit. But it's, it's, it's going to be just by that. That we're going to make it to heaven i mean that's just a reality we're going to come through and we're going to be like man but i thought and i thought and i thought and you're going to have nothing and it's only going to be jesus a pitiful that's a pitiful existence as a christian we're all going to experience that type of judgment but here's what i want you to think about is that if you are in this place and you are living in willful sin listen you're going to experience a totally different judgment you're going to experience a judgment that is not just you. You're not going to smell like smoke. You're going to be smelling smoke for all of eternity. And I don't say that to be funny. I say that to be sincere, an eternal separation from God. And so if you're in here, I don't want you to feel comfortable in the fact that Jesus died. Have you put your faith in Christ? Have you put your faith in him? Have you trusted him with your life? Have you turned from your sin? And I know that none of us is going to be perfect because that is impossible. But listen, if you're living in willful sin, you're in rebellion against God. And you're not that sinner that is just, okay, I'm going to go you know, I'm going to come to just, you know, um, come to this judgment. Everything's going to be okay. No, no, no. You're going to be the one that God cast away from his presence for all of eternity. That is scary. And so if that is you, I beg you, turn from your sin. I beg you today, don't let tomorrow come. Don't wait another minute. Right now, turn from your sin. Call on him. that He would save you from your sin. Don't allow yourself to continue to live a hypocritical life. And for the rest of us that are Christians, I want to say this here because here's my closing question. Is are you passing the love test? Are you passing the love test? Are you, are, are you dealing with others based upon the, the glory of Jesus? Are you reflecting the grace of God unto others? Are you striving to fulfill the royal law? Or are you just doing your own thing? Are you passing this love test? See, when I look at these scriptures and I find what, what God calls us here, the one thing that I realize is that for all of us when we think about this love test, I want you to think about this. Because I thought about something. I thought, I, I thought about this and, and I think about this often. You know, I'm a guy that when I pray, you know, I'm very determined in my prayers. And I, and I cry out to God, and I'm like, God, I want to see your glory. And you know, if you come in here you, you, at, at um, 845 in the mornings with us on Sunday mornings, you hear me pray. And I've almost prayed almost the same thing. And it's a, it's a constant outcry for the presence and for the glory and the power of God. And that's what we should be doing, right? We should be praying for those things. But you know what I have to ask myself? Man, God, how much of my prayer time that I'm so determined do I cry out, God, help me to love more like you? God, fill my heart with your love. God, show me how to love my wife the way that you love her. God, show me how to love my children the way that you love them. God, show me how to love my parents the way that you love them. God, show me how to love my neighbors the way that you love them. God, show me how to love your church the way that you love them. See, that's a different prayer. And if we're honest, I would say most of us, we probably are not praying those kind of prayers. We're not crying out to God, God because we don't see the power in love. Can I tell you something? The reason we're here today is because of the power there is in love. For God so loved the world. I mean, come on now. It doesn't get any more powerful than that. We want to see the power of God in our lives. We need to start crying out to God to help us to love the way he loves. To see people the way that he, that he sees them and to love them that way. We need to repent of whatever it is that's holding us back. Here's what, here's what I close saying is this. Is that every one of us without the spirit of God can never obey the law of God. And even with the spirit of God, you know what? We still need him in our life because we're going to fall short. And the beauty of it is, is we can call upon him right now. We can say, God, help me. And so my question was, are you passing the love test? So I'll stand to our feet. Let's bow our heads for a moment. your heads bowed and your your eyes closed, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand in a moment. I normally ask you to grab someone's hand, but I don't want to ask you that yet because I do want to ask you to raise your hand. Because I I, want to pray because I I know that when we talk about love, there's so many complications when it comes to that, so many things sometimes that hinder us from loving. And so if you're in this place, you say, God, I know that I'm failing the love test. Whatever it may be, I don't know what it is and I'm not going to go through all of my points. But you know you're failing it, but it's because there's something broken inside you there's something hurting inside you there's something that is damaged and and you just can't love the way that you know you should be and you say god i want prayer for that today i just want to see your hand if you say that's me today in this place i just want to see your hand lifted up before the lord i see the hands thank you for being honest thank you for being bold and courageous you can put your hands down glory to god now i want you to grab your neighbor's hand and for your neighbor i want you to act act like that person beside you raised their hand and i want you to know there were many hands that went up here but as I pray, I want you to pray, because I want you to be a point of contact. And even if that person beside you didn't pray, maybe someone behind you did. But there's hurting hearts that are having that are struggling to love, and the only one that can heal that is Jesus Christ by the power of his Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now in the great and mighty name of Jesus and Lord God we do acknowledge right now that your presence is here that your power is here that your word has been preached and yeah and Lord God those who have raised their hands they've responded to you Lord God to your word they want to be doers of it Lord they want to obey it but Lord God they're acknowledging that they're struggling they're hurting they're broken and you said Jesus that you came to mend the brokenhearted that you came to restore that you came to heal and so right now Lord God I pray that that healing would take place that that you would uproot that bitterness lord god that you would uproot that unforgiveness heavenly father that you would remove whatever it is that is there that is antagonizing them lord that is keeping them from loving the way that you call them to in an unconditional manner give them the ability lord god to be discerning and how to love and who to love but lord god today may they know how to protect their hearts without loving in a manner that is not unconditional lord god we break those chains right now we break those bonds right now Lord, we rebuke the plants and the lies of the enemy and every root that has been sown by seeds, Lord, of discord in their hearts. Right now, God, we declare your healing power upon them, Lord God. Father, glorify yourself and every broken heart. May they be healed right now in the mighty, mighty name of Jesus. We thank you and we pray this in your powerful name. And everyone said amen. Amen, amen. Come on and give God a hand of praise. And so you can be seated for a moment. We're going to we're, we're, we're going to take off